Hey brother Hear me now Brother dog Know me Understand Welcome to the Sargassum Podcast. My name is Robbie Thigpen. I'm Francisca Elmer. And I am Mar Fernandez. And we are your hosts for today. We're going to share with you the latest ideas and solutions about sargassum, which has become an international challenge. How was everybody's week? How's the weather down in, Flor- uh, in North South Carolina, Robbie? <laughs> <laughs> you you can just say and if you just say the Carolinas that might be easier to keep it up from but all right <laughs> I'm down here in the low country of South Carolina and uh, well we finally got a break in the weather and all I mean I've been complaining about how cloudy it's been the last 10 days from the Hurricane Etta but simultaneously I really don't have much to complain about I got a lot of friends in Nicaragua Guatemala Honduras and uh and Belize were impacted greatly by the flooding and all there wasn't as much wind damage as it was anything else. But it just, the flooding was catastrophic. You know, tens of thousands of people being displaced with homes still underwater. And so I can say the weather's nice for me. And the weather's nicer in those countries as well where my friends are. But there's still a lot of people without homes because of the bad weather they had. And uh, we just need to be thinking about those guys and women and all my indigenous brothers and sisters down in Central America while we're doing all this stuff. Did you also hear what's going on in Peru at the moment? Like, I, we just got back all our equipment back from our last year's expedition in Peru. And I mean, now hearing all the political insecurity and stability that is happening there at the moment, I am also um, worried about all my friends, um, also scientists that are there, all the samples we left there from our experiment. I don't know what's going to happen with all that. Yeah, there, there, there's, there's a lot of turmoil in the world right now. And, uh, yeah. and we just need, we, right now, we just need to be hoping for a better future for everyone. Yeah. Yeah, I think being in Switzerland, people complain here about insecurities and having to wear masks. But we are very lucky with getting a lot of support from the government for all kinds of people. And we have to also recognize that that's not not the case in most places in the world. Yeah, I mean, here in Germany, Northern Germany, most people are complaining all the time about the gray weather. And I mean, like, well, if that's the only thing you have to complain about, then we're doing fine. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and here in Switzerland, even now, we had really good weather the last few days. Normally it's very gray in November but we've had very sunny weather and I've even been able to, to be in a t-shirt. Oh, nice. Yes. So um, our guest today is also living somewhere where the weather should be pretty nice. He lives in Miami. Robbie, do you want to do the introduction? Yeah. Uh, my name is Lowell. I am a PhD candidate um, at Florida International University. I work with my advisor, Dr. Ligio Creado-Vides. Um, my research is on interactions between marine macrophytes and invertebrates with special emphasis on sargassum once they land. I also happen to be the manager of the International Sargassum Network Listserv and the manager of the citizen science program that's run by EpiCollect5. Awesome. 
so nice to have you here and I'm really excited to talk to you today. Yeah, welcome. Yes, bienvenidos. Oh wait, you're not Spanish. You're from the Philippines. <laughs> a little bit of Spanish. <laughs> how do you say? How do you say? How do you say welcome in in Tagalog? Tagalog. Uh, okay, I know very little, even less Tagalog than Spanish. I would Same thought you know no hello or welcome. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll 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 try later. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so so what's our first question today? I was uh, a key question of our podcast. So this is a question we ask to everyone that we invite to this podcast. And the question is, what is sargassum for you? And now I don't want a description of what sargassum is. I want, what is it for you? What does it mean for you, sargassum? What is sargassum to me? Mm -hmm. One hell of an accident <laughs> would be my answer to that. <laughs> Um, when I started my PhD back in 2016, I thought I was going to do seagrasses. And at least half of my chapters involved seagrasses, red algaes, amphipods, everything underwater. And then two years ago, um, sargassum started hitting some of my study sites. Um, and then when Ligio was telling me about sargassum, I was like, hey, this is a good opportunity to jump to citizen science. And um, realizing that, I jumped in. I started my citizen science project. And unlike my dissertation, my citizen science sargassum thing started out as a side project, which later made its way as a very minor part of my dissertation. And the more I look into sargassum, it's like, ah, crap, there's invertebrates here too. And I don't know if anyone's looking at these invertebrates. So I guess, <laughs> I don't know, I'll just tack that into my dissertation. So what sargassum is, it's just one weird, happy accident that kind of made its way into my life. So. <laughs> well, well, you know, as you, you began your stuff, I guess, working with the Lassie and uh, serum godium and all that stuff and those are uh, uh, you know key stone uh, ecosystems of the uh, Florida and the Greater Caribbean Basin as a matter of fact every com important commercially important marine species spends some phase of its life in, in those seagrass ecosystems is sargassum like that in any way in the northern sargassum sea yes um sargassum in that area has been nicknamed the Golden Rainforest. And so you'd be able to find very largely endemic uh, species of fish and invertebrates that you can find nowhere else on this planet. Wow. Um, <clears throat> yeah, <clears throat> some of these fishes and invertebrates, they, you know, over evolutionary time, they basically accustomed to adapting to sargassum. They ended up looking like the sargassum leaves of frauds and can be able to camouflage um, their ways into their systems. Sea turtles love this stuff, um, at least in the Sargasso Sea. The sea turtles will go in uh, once they get out of the beaches and kind of use that sargassum in the Sargasso Sea as a refuge um, from predators, right? Um, and there's at least the sargassum that's been causing the blooms. Um, there also have been evidence of um, invertebrates living on them. Um, you can find a lot of hydroids and other sessile fauna um, but my impression is that area in the Caribbean where the sargassum is at is a lot less studied. So there's a, there's a gap that definitely needs to be addressed. And how does that invertebrate community down to the Caribbean compare to the one that sargassum see? Um, that's something that I'm not even touching on, but I think it's a really important link to address. Nice, nice. You know, I, I know a little bit about seagrasses because my research in the Caribbean started out working with the uh, marine arthropod. Uh, Caribbean spiny lobster, you know, and, mm -hmm. and the, you know, that's a very important 
hunting ground, of, you know, for this predatory animal. And all that's, they spend their nights going there looking for snails and stuff to eat. However, the lobster also spends a phase of its life in the, in the pelagic and all. So I kind of got two questions. One, tell us a little bit more about your amphipods and all in coastal systems and all. But are you finding any philosoma larva of any predatory species like the Caribbean spiny lobster in any of this seagrass? Okay. So it's very important to understand that I'm studying the invertebrates leaving a sargassum once a sargassum lands. So this is very okay. different from the sargassum that, you know, still lives in the pelagic areas, right? And one of the things that, that should be the take home is that um, the invertebrate community in that landed sargassum um, are primarily terrestrial in nature. The most marine animals you can find there are probably dead epiphytes, um, like the hydroids and the, wor and the worms and amphipods, um, which um, I was watching a webinar by Joe Serafi and his team at UM. Um, these amphipods are probably from the genus Mexorchestia, um, which are under the family Telitridae. So they're basically sandhoppers. They're the only known terrestrial amphipods, um, crustaceans that we know. Um, and they can number in thousands, um, especially if you have very high amounts of biomass of, of sargassum coming out the shores. Um, most of the other invertebrates were found were insects. Um, so larvae of soldier flies, beetle larvae can be in, can be um, nested in the sargassum. Um, beetles, flies, even we found springtails, which are even smaller than some of the invertebrates I work with. Um, um, so all this sargassum, once, once it lands, it brings all this biomass and nutrients, it's basically um, free real estate for these um, small invertebrate fauna. Mm, so do they actually eat the sargassum? That's one of the things I'm trying to study right now, um, is I want to see if these invertebrates are going to be effective to try divorce of the, of the sargassum. Um, Joe Serafi's work, I think he, he was able to find that amphipods do eat these rotting sargassum leaves. Um, and so I hypothesize that all of these invertebrates, as they're, you know, kind of making their home in sargassum, they're probably going to, at least to a very, very small extent, actually eat the sargassum as an ecosystem service. Now, given all this biomass, I don't think bugs themselves <laughs> can handle this kind of mess. Um, but um, I think having that dietary link through, you know, controlled experiments and um, dietary analyses like stable isotopes gut contents can provide an important trophic link that's been overlooked. Um, because perhaps some of these um, shorebirds that, you know, probably eat these invertebrates, they probably see this and kind of, first thing they know, it's kind of like a buffet of invertebrates, right? Yeah. Wait. And so this is on land, but I guess you've also seen sargassum floating in the ocean. And have you ever had the chance to swim or dive uh, with or below sargassum? And how does that feel like? How is it? I've had a couple of events where I have swam with sargassum. Um, one is in Crandon Park. And as I know, for most sargassum influxes, the water turns pretty brown and ugly. Um, surprisingly, when I were to pick up some of these um, sargassum, um, you can still find sargassum crabs and some old-time vertebrates that haven't died from the anoxia conditions yet. 
Um, but I have scuba dived two years ago when I was still in my rookie training stages and I managed to be under the sargassum uh, farther away from Miami. And I've, you know, as would have happened, there's definitely larger fish that are using it as feeding ground um, for, from, the, from the sargassum. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, well, it's a favorite hangout for dolphins. And you know, I, I think all, a, lot, a, lot, a lot of the people I know that, that go fish for those kind of things love, they're looking for the sargassum patches because they'll troll past that and give them a nice big fish there. Um, and, and so, yeah, it's, it's a very interesting stuff. But I want you to tell us a little bit about your citizen science project and the app you talk, we were talking about earlier. Yeah. So the app that I'm using for my citizen science project. Um, so first of all, my citizen science program is called Sargassum Watch. Um, it uses a third-party app called EpiCollect 5. And EpiCollect 5 is this open source app made by the Imperial College of London in the UK. Um, so, this, so the EpiCollect 5 app allows um, potential citizen science managers to kind of make their own citizen science project. So I ended up making my Sargassum Watch project through EpiCollect 5. And by looking for potential collaborators, um, I can get a network of volunteers uh, to help me collect photos of the sites and species of the sargassum um, where it's impacting their local coastal areas. So a lot of help that I got from, for the Citizen Science Project, for example, are from sea turtle monitoring groups. Um, I have one group in Broward County of Florida, and I have another small group in Grand Cayman that helped, started helping this past summer. Um, and so through that, we were able to get two years um, worth of data. I think as of today, we've had over 2,000 data points, 2,000 observations, um, the vast majority of them are in South Florida, of course, because that's, that's where my strongest network is at. But we are starting to expand to other areas of the uh, Caribbean, and we hope to expand a lot more on that. And how was it to set up this app? Was it hard to do? Um, does it cost anything to do this type of thing? Um, so compared to other citizen science apps that I've tried to pilot over the years, I found Epic Collect 5 to be the most intuitive for both the managers um, like myself, as well as the volunteer observations. EpiCollect 5 is free. And um, as with a lot of science apps, a good majority of them are free and open source, thankfully. Um, I, you, I've made five different projects related to EpiCollect 5, because what I found is that some folks are readily committed to collect uh, an entire worksheet worth of data, while others probably just want to grab three picks and go. Um, and so I want to be mindful of these volunteers' time. Um, so that's why I would make different versions of that same project. And recently, we also, um, what is it, start to make the, started to make the uh, Citizen Science app in different languages. Right, so we have an English version um, with, it, with a comprehensive worksheet and the easy data sheet. Um, we made a Spanish version with those same versions and we're starting uh, with a volunteer translation to make a French version, right? So we hope to kind of use those different tactics to try to reach as broad an audience as we can get. Mm -hmm. And so the app, 
the way I understand it is the data is available not just to you, but to everybody who wants to see it, right? Mm -hmm. And has it actually helped you in your science? And do you know if there's other scientists who use the data? And what kind of um, stuff have they been able to do with this data? That's a very good question. So my, all of my data is so far has been open source and easy to access. If anyone wants to use the data, they can go ahead and download it as long as they give me and the lab credit. Um, that's all we ask. For me, um, be, it was a little tricky trying to, you know, compare, put an orange and compare it to an apple. Um, and so what I've been trying to initially do my, use my citizen science data for is to just track spatial temporal variability of the sargassum landings. And with my team of undergrads, uh, we found, for example, that Grand Cayman being more in the Caribbean um, area of terms of latitude, they are more susceptible to higher accumulations of sargassum in Florida, which is a lot more north. Um, so we're able to detect um, different, um, I guess, variability in where the sargassum is um, landing and how much it is accumulated. Now, something that I wanted to do relevant to my dissertation is because these um, these sargassum influxes are bringing in potential food and habitat is to also kind of estimate the amount of invertebrates that are using the sargassum as habitat, right? And, and a hypothesis that I'm testing right now is, of course, sargassum being a very seasonal um, phenomenon that is going to bring, also bring a seasonal um, variation in the habitat availability of these invertebrates, and that's going to affect the diversity uh, and abundance of these invertebrates um, that would try to use sargassum as as a habitat or as a food source. And so I have another team that's looking, you know, what kinds of invertebrates are living in there? Um, what are the microhabitat conditions? Is, is sargassum kind of like this really cool air conditioned mansion or if it's a, like a hotted greenhouse, you know, it's probably frying and roasting these invertebrates um, rather than just keeping them nice and cool as they please. Um, so, I think in terms of the greater scope of the network, um, I have seen the, my citizen science data being used a lot by presentations. Um, there has been a lot of proposals to somehow integrate the citizen science data um, in to help refine satellite imagery uh, models to try to detect and forecast um, these arrival of the, of the sargassum influxes, right? Um, and we had a workshop, I think, two months ago, um, where we, where there's definitely some talk on how we're going to integrate that sort of data. Um, I do hope that all this talk will certainly lead to collaboration and action, but I think for now we'll just have to wait and see, um, because this is definitely something that cannot be done by one person. It involves collaborations and networks and a widely coordinated effort to in a way, kind of marry and integrate these different methods to best to best predict and forecast a model how these sargassum blue dynamics are going to come about because this phenomenon is going to be here to stay as it looks. Yes. So, <laughs> may I ask you a question about what you were just talking about, please? Um, first, I'll, I want to make sure I understand this correctly. Um, so, what you're saying is that 
when we have these huge beachings of the sargassum, that increases the carrying capacity for terrestrial invertebrates. Mm-hmm. So we have a bloom, if you will, of terrestrial invertebrates. Um, so there's more food for shorebirds. Yeah. Is this coming at a time, for, for example, for during nesting time, where you have a higher survivability rate that becomes dependent upon this excess amount of food? And then when the season for the, you know, all these extra invertebrates go away, does that, do we see a, are you seeing or even thought about looking at, is there a decrease in shorebird population or fatalities because of the decrease in food supply? That's a, that's a very good question. I don't know that. Um, I would love to learn, learn that, learn how to make that linkage between the invertebrates and birds. And it's kind of a disconnect because we usually hear, you know, the highest diversity of birds coming into Miami is during the winter because of, because of this um, huge, large migration of uh, migratory birds. Um, uh, and the sargassum is coming around this summer where at best probably local um, insectivorous birds are probably using, are probably taking advantage of that resource. But I cannot tell you beyond that. I think that's going to require, I guess, collaboration with someone who knows their shorebirds very well and to kind of make, for example, a stable isotope study or some other study that kind of links those dietary linkages between invertebrates, bird, and sargassum together. So. Sounds like a real good postdoc project for you. <laughs> yeah. Robbie, um, at one point we are going to interview Debbie Bartlett. And when she came to South Caicos, um, I was studying sargassum and she came from the UK. And I'm a marine person. So when I study sargassum, I'm mostly in the water looking at seagrass and how it affects the seagrass. And she was all interested in the invertebrates and the birds. And I got to see sargassum from a completely different perspective. And, and I tried to get her in the water so she could see my perspective as well. Nice. I also have a question about your app. So right now is mostly land focused, meaning most of the observations you get are from people on a beach that take a picture and send it to you. And I was wondering, what are your plans to expand this to the sea. So maybe uh, talking to fishermen or whatever so that they also send you these pictures or I don't know, do you have any plans in that direction? Oh my God, very good question. Um, so I personally have, have problems trying to figure out who to reach out um, in terms of expanding it offshore. And I'll just, I guess I could give a shout out. I know. Um, Fran, you've been working quite a bit on reaching out to yacht yacht owners mm-hmm. and sailors to actually um, try to collect that data offshore, and I heavily appreciate that um, because um, a challenge for processing the data. I guess I guess I don't know if we want to make that kind of segue. Um, what's great about collecting sargassum data onshore in terms of the pictures is that we use a class system to kind of categorize the accumulation level. So, you know, a level zero accumulation level means, you know, the beach is really clean versus a level five, which is our highest setting, which is, you know, large influxes of sargassum, um, obnoxious, lot of decomposition, brown water, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but then something that 
I'm trying to figure out, I'm struggling with this thought experiment myself is, what if you see a large biomass as orgasm, but it hasn't landed yet? That's still important mm -hmm. information. Um, I still do believe it, it should be collected. Um, just maybe we could use that data to answer a completely different set of questions or kind of tweak it to kind of get an estimate or prediction what's that accumulation level is going to be once it makes its way onto the beach. So even though this citizen science program has developed a long way, there's definitely room for improvement and new directions. And I'm definitely open to, to what those new directions um, can be and what they could look like. Yeah, and my, me, and my, me and a colleague, um, Catherine Jadot, are actually um, just applied for a grant to do um, an Epic Collect app or extension to, to work with sailors because we do want to take pictures of those mats offshore for the prediction models. And also we want to see if there's any turtles or anything else living in there. There is already um, effort to do this. So um, sailing communities are in contact and working with mostly the University of Mississippi. They have a website where you can put in information and then the University of Mississippi and I think another university in Florida are then using that information for their prediction models. So there's a little bit of that going on, but I don't think too many people know about it. And we hope to, with an app and some advertising and outreach to make it more known and easier for people to use. Yeah. You know, talk about working with commercial fishermen. Um, I've got a, I know a guy, Wes Merton is his name, and uh, he's working with Corfania, uh, Hippurus, Dolphin, and all, and he's working with commercial, not uh, uh, sports fishermen and, and guides from, uh, from all the way down from Trinidad all the way up to Georgetown, South Carolina. Maybe working further north, but I know he works this far north because I know some of the fishermen that are working with him. And they're cooperating on this big dolphin project he's got. And he might could get you involved in some of the fishermen that he's working with and out there, mm -hmm. you know, doing this stuff. And I'll, uh, I'll put you in touch with him and see if y'all can work something out. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Lowell, my last question. I'm sure our listeners want to know how they can get involved. So who can use the app? Does it have to be a turtle group or can it be a single person? And how do they get involved the easiest way? Very good question. Um, the EpiCollect 5 can be downloaded through iOS or Android. Um, it's a very flexible app. I would highly recommend if you have the time to um, download the Sargassum Watch Citizen Science Project within the EpiCollect 5. Um, but if that's an issue, um, we also have the EZ version, um, literally the letters EZ followed by Sargassum, and that is an abridged version of the Sargassum Watch um, project. And I have equivalents um, for Spanish, which are ready so far. That's Monterreo de Sargassum. That is an equivalent of the Sargassum Watch. And Sargasso Facil um, is the Spanish equivalent to the um, English Easy version. All right, so we do have the Citizen Science Project ready. Anyone could use it. You don't have to be in a volunteer group. Um, and whenever you go out to the beach, um, even if there is no sargassum, even if you walk in and see a really clean beach, 
get that data anyway, because absence of sargassum is still data. And we can definitely um, use it to better make um, estimations of our models and predictions and et cetera. So. All right, sounds really exciting. I used the app when I was living in South Caicos, um, also to just collect my own data. And it was definitely very easy to use and very fun mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. Nice. Excellent. So do we have any more questions for Lowell thank today? Well, Lowell, thank you so much for being with us. I enjoyed this talk. I learned one or two little things and um, learned, even learned a couple things made me grin. So I really appreciate that, especially and all. And, uh, you know, we hope to hear more about your research in the future. And yeah, just, just thanks for being here. Yeah, absolutely. Thank, thank you for inviting me. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, we're going to um, let you go for right now, and, and we'll be in contact with you, and we're going to talk about what we just learned. And uh, once again, thanks. Thanks, Lowell. Thanks, Lowell. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Have a good day. Thank you. Wow, that was kind of nice. Yeah, that was very interesting. It's a pretty cool app that he developed there, no? And it's amazing that anyone can contribute to science right now. This is um, amazing. Yeah, well, yeah. I think on the vi on, on the video and probably on the on our on the website for him, we're going to have some links to yeah. so people can go and download these things too. So that's going to be really good, good to have available. Yes, and also for him and other scientists, like he said, he has over two thousand pictures. Imagine how much time it would take if you had to go out to the beach regularly to go get those pictures. And these people who already go out there to check on turtles can do this within three minutes, saving so much time and get to do some exciting research on the side, which is yeah. super awesome. Yeah, imagine how much money you save uh, in terms of research, right? Mm -hmm. To get those data points would cost... Uh, fortune and this way you get it for free so this is really yeah well the thing is too i mean those all are well good and well points but you also get a different perspective awesome. when like francesca was talking a minute ago about um the lady that's was interested in the birds and stuff and they gave her a different perspective when you're working with different kind of scientists and and even just citizens the perspective you're going to get is their perspective and seeing it from a different perspective can sometimes, you know, illuminate some really important aspects that you may have otherwise overlooked. So that, I think that's a very important aspect of that. Yeah. And I like that he has two different versions for people who are very nerdy and science interested and people who just want to take a few pictures. So there's two different levels of getting involved, which is really cool. Yeah. It would be nice when he um, expands the app uh, towards the ocean and then I can see fishermen or scientists or whatever taking pictures with a GoPro in the water and then <laughs> up on that. that would be cool. Well, I'm waiting on the GoPro coming with a big dolphin coming up behind a hook, trolling <laughs> beside the sargassum. That's, that's the photo I'm looking for. Well, and, Robbie, uh, when, when I went when I was living in South Caicos and teaching there, um, we would study sargassum there and 
there was one spot we would go every week to clear a little patch to see how much got there. We would weigh it. And I was there with a few students and one of the students um, screamed shark. So we looked out into the water. We were all on the beach, all marine people. And there was this um, hammerhead shark, which was nice. chasing, I think there were two or three different eagle rays. And it actually, like we saw the eagle ray jumping in the air and got being eaten by the shark. And then once <gasps> the shark left and the shark got really close to shore. So we knew we saw it was a hammerhead shark. And then we, we took out the eagle ray with the bite mark onto the beach to, to take pictures and to have a look at it. And it was definitely one of the most amazing experiences I had in my life, seeing this interaction in the sargassum. Like there was sargassum floating in the water there and the shark kind of used it to, to help him forage or, or yeah, predate on the eagle ray. Yes, Do you think anyone has had this kind of interactions, like sargassum as a as a forest, right? As a place where bigger um, animals hide and then attack their prey. That's amazing. Yeah, well, apparently they're adapting. Yeah, we had some oh. some videos, and we I, we I sent it to Sargnet email at that point because it was very exciting. Cool. Nice, nice. Mm -hmm. Well, that's been our. Uh, sargassum podcast for this week thank you for joining us and uh we're going to be interviewing somebody else next week i'm not quite sure who that is right now but it's going to be a, an exciting interview just like this one was and uh we look forward to seeing you then and uh till then y'all have a good rest of your week thank you much yeah have a nice week bye have a nice week bye everyone Thank you for tuning in today and learning with us from our guest about sargassum. If you enjoyed our podcast, please consider supporting us financially by becoming a Patreon. For as little as $1 per month, you can support us and take part in an exclusive monthly Zoom happy hour for Patreons, where you can network with our podcast guests and other sargassum enthusiasts. This podcast was produced by Marcel van der Kamp and your hosts today were Robbie Tingham, Francisca Elmer and Mar Fernandez. We will be back next week with another exciting guest. Do you want to find out more about what our guests talked about today? Check our show notes for links to the documents and websites. The music in this podcast is from the song Demo Prey by Drizzle Road Rama, an artist from Roatan. You can listen to the full song at the end of this episode. If you enjoy his music, then please follow him on Spotify and YouTube, where you can find more of his music. But for now, here is Demo Pray by Drizzle Road Rama. Hey brother, brother know me understand Now for them no one be see we get nothing That's why they my free and always front and star Now for them no one be see we get nothing That's why they my free Now for them my free They my free me no gain progress Now for them my free They my free me no gain success Now for them my free they my pre me no gain progress, not for them I'm free. 
Them a premium with success So me tell them ya Mama says come on me no take that Only if it come from Joe I'll accept that Not for them I put my trust in and give me setback Yo select that Will and pull up that Tell some wicked a bad mind Me no fear them Anytime them cheat and chat Me no hear them Me dash a few hearts so body queer them Me dash a few hearts so tell them where them Not for them a free Them a free me in progress, not for them a free Them a free, me to reap success So me tell them yeah Yes, me know me have a lot of fake friends But me never woulda tap me woulda have fake family So me tell them straight, me no trust them Me no trust you and me no trust him Fake friend lost my mind in a real life star Me no rate that star, me no rate that Me real for me woulda bust a million shot in a real life Real, real, real life Not for them a free them a free, me no gain progress, not for them a free Them a free, me no great success, not for them a free Them a free, me no gain progress, not for them a free Them a free, me no great success, so me tell you yeah. Life, but they might hate and grudge and creep on mine. They might move like Judas. They might move like Judas. Plus, everybody have a life to live. So, they give one rash clock to a try judge me. Let them chip and chat to what them want to say. Cause none of them out there. Nah, Pete, none of them are free. They might free me. No gain progress. None of them are free. They might free me. No rape success. Not for them a free Them a free me no gain progress Not for them a free Them a free me no rip success